Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Our guest today is Dan Sugarman, who is a guitar player, songwriter, and instructor who plays guitar in Ice Nine Kills, as well as his solo efforts. Dan Sugarman, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. What is up, guys? I'm honored to be here. I've been listening to your guys' podcast for quite some time, and uh, I'm looking forward to some laughs. Because of the stupid shit that we say when, while trying to be good hosts? Yeah, I was literally, we were just talking, and I was about to reference the fact that we almost just made the bathtub meth joke like three seconds ago that you guys made like 10 times a couple episodes ago. <laughs> I don't remember that. Oh, it was deep. It doesn't really mean anything. They don't remember it. It's just to do so many episodes between this and the other podcast. That, oh, I get uh, it, man. I don't remember conversations. But you were saying that you think there's uh, too much carrot and stick shit going on with uh, how people learn or are taught these days. Yes. What the hell do you mean by that? All right, I'm going to it's 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 too early in the day for me to come out with a really fucked up joke. So I'm going to bail on what my brain just did first. And okay. let's do the let's do the real one. So carrot and stick method, um I don't know if this is a term that I grew up knowing or something or if it's not super common, but effectively, can you see like a donkey with a stick attached to his head and a carrot dangling in front of him? Yeah. That's carrot and stick method. I don't know if you guys remember uh Honey I Shrunk the Kids, but that's a big part of that movie. <laughs> Yes, with the ant, right? And the little piece of cookie. So that that idea, I feel like, is a big part of today's online world of lessons. And not necessarily like the online schools like you guys are doing, but more in the realm of what I'm doing uh, as the private lesson stuff goes. Like I get a lot of students who leave other teachers who are, you know, all, every teacher who a student goes to is going to provide something that's valuable. But a lot of these students are leaving these teachers feeling like they're not getting what they came for. And over and over and over again, I'm recognizing that teachers are dangling that piece of information that you're coming for so that you come back for the next bundle, the next month, whatever it is. Oh, uh, so like like ascending the levels of Scientology sort of thing? Yes, yes. If you pay this amount of money, you're going to get this secret. Yes. And then once you get that secret, then, uh, well, you can get the next secret for this amount of money. Right, right. So long as I invent a secret in time for you to fucking learn it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that's 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 the twisted part. So like my my whole game for the past, I mean, I guess a couple years, but more recently this year I went really really hard. I decided to do the opposite of that cuz my whole world is like whatever the grain is, fuck that thing. I'm going against it. I'm not I'm not a big fan of the grain. In fact, I'm gluten-free, guys. So it's pretty it's pretty easy. But like I see a lot of teachers doing that method and granted like it works. That's what like fucking schooling usually is that's a business i get it it's you know capitalism at its worst or its best whatever you want to say but my my whole game this past year has been like unveiling as much as i possibly can all the all the secrets as we were saying a second ago i want to just share those for free because i don't feel like anybody in the world can explain it like i can and that's not to say like i'm really good at it it's that i would explain red differently than you would explain red and that's why it's just going to be different, right? So as far as I'm concerned, there's something really, really cool in just sharing those nuggets because it shows the value that I could provide to people. And it also shows that I'm not afraid to like, I don't need to hide behind a wall. Like I don't need to barricade myself in with my knowledge to make you interested. It's an old school mentality, I think, that is little by little dying out. When we started URM, we got a lot of hate from people for revealing secrets and all that shit almost as if like you know we're in a community of illusionists like david copperfield <laughs> that uh you know have a hundred million dollars on the line and you can't 
spill the secrets or they're going to lose a hundred million dollars on their next trick. Like yeah. they were treating it like that or like the CIA or something like you reveal the secret and people will die. But in reality, what we've learned and what I always thought was there really aren't any secrets. And the more that information just becomes part of how we live, it, I mean, it already is, but the more that this evolves, the less that hoarding information is even going to be possible. There's no value in that. There's literally no value in hoarding information. The value is in how you help people get through the information. That's what matters yeah. because you can, there's all the information you could ever want about almost anything is out there. Uh, it's like a tsunami of information. So the challenge for a person wanting to learn is not whether or not they can find the information, but it's, getting overwhelmed and knowing how to get through the information and in what order and how to actually apply it, that that's the challenge, not finding the information. So, so people who are so still true. stuck on hoarding are stuck in, in another time period. Yeah, man. It's, it's, it's like the information and the knowledge is like the nutrients, right? And the way that we're teaching it, that's like the fucking spoon that it's delivered on. And I feel like there's a million different spoons but the information is the information and like hiding that part of it is just silly to me because recognizing that your delivery system, your unique way of talking about it, approaching it, sharing it with someone more, more fucking importantly, connecting with that person in the way that they need to connect. That's what that shit's about. So like the proverbial spoon here is really just a, the spoon doesn't exist. There is no spoon. Come on guys. No, there was a time period before in all the information was out there where just delivering the information was valuable because there was no other way to get the information. So in a, a previous point in history, this idea of hoarding information or being valuable for giving it out, I mean, that was real. It was valuable for sure. I mean, where else would people get it? At the end of the day, I reserve the judgment for who is actually doing that? Because um, if they're really providing something great. Yeah, of course. It's like... I mean, they, they got to get people to pay attention to it somehow. Yeah, it's super true. It's, it's really just more of like the concept of the carrot and stick thing has been something that I've really, really hated my entire fucking life. Like authority in general, I've always hated. I actually always had problems with teachers growing up. Like I'm, I'm kind of just like anti whatever is established. I'm just going to not be into it. It's not that I don't like listening to other people. That's a very, it's a very good point. It's that there needs to be some, like, I'm subscribing to their form of knowledge or information because X, Y, and Z has happened. Like, my, my respect for them needs to be at a certain place for me to fully hear what's being said. Like, I don't, maybe it's not the best thing in the world, but I don't give everyone the same, like, platform of, like, this guy's probably fucking awesome. He probably knows what he's talking about. Like, I always have an air of skepticism in, in everything. Well, you should. And the reason that you should is because of the time period we live in, because everybody's got a voice and the ability to project that voice. It's on us to determine which voices are valuable to listen to. You can't listen to all the voices out there. I mean, I'm sorry for people listening who are going to argue with that and think that you can. Good luck. If you can actually listen to all the voices out there, then uh, you're some sort of a god or yeah. something. Congratulations. Yeah. But omnipresent. we only have, yeah, omnipresent, omnipotent. Those of us humans here have finite brain power and a finite amount of time on this earth. And with the amount of information coming at us at all times in this time period, we need to be discerning and uh, 
I would say we need to be skeptical in order to make sure that what we are allowing in is valuable and will actually help. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to make a hard left here, but it seems like the world as a whole is not questioning things being presented to them enough right now, just on, on a whole right now. Dude, yes. that's just people. That's true. That's true. That's true. But I feel like there's a lot of like a lot of things going on. You're just seeing it on this earth right now. Yeah, you're right. There's, there's media scope on it for sure. For sure. You're just seeing it. It's just in previous time periods, you didn't have the general public putting their thoughts out right the way that they do now. So you didn't get to see people just going along with things or having crazy fucking stupid ideas or any of that stuff that is just in our face. It's always been there. Yeah. People didn't just change in the past 20 years. The only thing that changed is technology that allows people to get their stupid ass thoughts out. So you're just seeing it. It's audible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. It's really fucking present these days. That's all I'm saying. Which is why you have to be discerning of what you allow in. Yes, yes, absolutely. That filter's huge. Both for your mental health and for uh, the progress you want to make, whatever you're trying to learn about. Yeah, truly. It's it's such an interesting topic to just like the, the way that psychology works, the way that the human mind works. Like that's been something that I've been getting more and more interested in, uh, in the past couple of years with like, the more, the more that I recognize that teaching isn't something that I just do, but it's something that I fucking like love to do. And I love to like, (laughs) I made, I made a joke the other day. We, everyone on earth eats, right? We all eat probably every fucking day. Do you think people are getting better at eating? We're not like you practice three times a day at least, but there's no like fucking growth and how it's not a skill. What would, what would that mean? My, my point is that with teaching, I don't want it to be like that. I don't want to just do it. I want to spend my time trying to improve. I want to look at myself in in like the mirror, so to speak, and like figure out what I could do better. As for when I'm eating, it's just like put food in whole, push it out other whole later. Like it's all <laughs> it's all that shit really or is. Or same whole. Or same whole, dude. Little South Park action. Or uh, reverse depending. holes. Yeah. Yeah. The comparison though is a little weird to me because eating is not optional. It's just something we have to do. It's a biological thing. I mean, some people would di- would disagree with that. Yeah, but they're wrong. They'll die. Yeah, they would die. They're wrong. It's not optional. It's just something you have to do. And how do you define better? Like all that really matters is you're getting the nutrition you need. It goes in. You keep living. The end. Some people like to dress it up and make it fun. I mean, okay, okay. Let's let's look at this. Eating, I guess, would be like similar to learning. You just you just everyone has to do it. You're learning all the time. Like it just goes in. You have to digest it. It's just nutrients. Maybe eating's more more likened to learning. Yeah, but the stuff that we teach is definitely not required stuff. Sure, but learning in general, you're doing every day. Like you are you are digesting information in your day to day life and making something of it the next day, like a shit in your toilet. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe I'm just throwing a dart and painting a target around it, but that feels pretty pretty solid. I do think, though, that I understand, though, what you're saying about not wanting to let teaching be something that's just on autopilot. That, yes, that's what I'm saying. Like going to the bathroom or eating or sleeping or any of those things that, you know, regardless of anything, you just have to do it. And there's nothing nothing else to it it very well could be that like i i could wake up on my off days of lessons and be like all right let's work on this ice nine shit this is fun this is what i do my lesson days for and then my lesson day is fucking the next day and i wake up and i'm just like a zombie and don't care like that's so easy to happen uh it's so easy to to fall prey to just like the aloofness of like a job i guess uh but it's syndrome 
the day job syndrome exactly man but i find myself more and more sp- I, I feel like I'm, I'm watching more stuff on like teaching and like how to teach and reading on like the brain and how psychology works more than i am like what what kind of like c major seven add nine arpeggio can i fit in this like my my technical my technical guitar brain um has definitely taken a back seat to like how i can share the things that i've picked up over the past 15 years well that you can definitely get better at and should try to get better at if you're going to try to help people learn things it's part of the job and one of the things that actually does bother me about kind of the same thing you were talking about about the way that a lot of this stuff is marketed or online education is that i feel like a lot of people are in it because they think it's easy money which it's not easy money it is hard fucking work but people who have done well with it make it look easy and so people think this is an easy money thing i can just get a camera and say some things into it with my instrument or like show them around a daw and uh cha-ching and that is a horrible reason to try to get into something like this first of all that's not you're not going to last because you're going to realize that there's a lot more to it than just uh getting a camera and saying some stuff but second of all i think that it adds a bunch of noise out there and it distracts the uh it distracts potential students away from the uh quality information and that's why those of us who do it for real um and are actually providing something valuable i do think do need to have a louder voice out there uh with the marketing because there is so much bullshit out there that's going to lead people the wrong way so i understand why you are repulsed by some of the marketing stuff and I am too. But on the other hand, if people who are actually good and do actually have like, you know, the best to offer, which I think our stuff does, we should be louder. People should come to us and they should know that we're out there because uh, where else are they going to go? I'm just saying that I think that people who really do care about helping other people get better at this stuff, whether it's recording or guitar or basket weaving or whatever the fuck you're putting out there your responsibility is to deliver the information in the most interesting engaging and practical way possible it's not easy to do and it takes a lot of work so the fact that you're actually working at it is a good thing like it doesn't surprise me if you're actually into doing this then of course you would want to get better at it my mind is doing an interesting thing right now i'm thinking of like it, it feels similar to how like a door-to-door salesman would like knock on your door and then they'd be like, let me just come in. Let me, Oh, that, that stain right there. Let me just spray this stain really quick and show you how easy it is for you to clean this. And then he does it for you. And then you're like, all right, well, how much is that? And then they tell you the price and you have to fucking kick them out of your house and all that shit. It seems like a little bit like (laughs) that, that like marketing approach, which was probably coined in like the fucking fifties or sixties or like whenever that started, just, just sort, it sort of just worked and how a lot of people tend to like not don't fix what's not broken right like if it's not broken it's not going to get remade but i feel like there is something inherently i don't want to use the word repulsive again but there's something just inherently cringy about it the problem with that type of selling is that oftentimes people will invent a problem and then solve it for you right before your eyes a problem that wasn't even there so they'll make you believe that you have a problem you don't have and if you don't if you don't take care of this now, you're gonna you're fucked. Like you yeah. got to solve this now. Like I remember this door to door salesman when I was in Florida, who wanted to test the water, 
and he was trying to sell me a filter because I was on a well system. I just wanted to hear him out. But then I realized he brought his own testing kit and he like did some shit where if it turned a certain color, then we definitely need the filter. And of course it turned that color. And I was like, wait a second, fuck this shit. You must be tricking a bunch of old people into believing it. It would have turned that color no matter what. And you would have made me believe that I had a problem that I didn't actually have or that didn't actually matter. And I feel like that same type of a psychological selling where you're tugging on people's emotions definitely happens online. However, however, the problem with talking shit about that is that sometimes you really are trying to solve somebody's problems. Yeah, of course. Like, uh, with of course. our speed mixing course, we were going hard about the aspect of, uh, you know, if you're spending too long on your mixes, you are a going to mix worse, probably unless you're Colin Richardson or something. If you're coming up in the world of mixing and you're, you know, intermediate level or beginner and you're spending way too long, you probably are mixing worse because you're burning yourself out going in circles too. If you're trying to make money at it, the longer you take with everything that you mix with every song that you mix, the less per hour you're making. It's just the truth. Unless you're charging by the hour. Unless you're charging by the hour. That's a dick move. Yeah. For recording, maybe, but not for mixing. And anyways, there's a lot more to it than that. But like we were pointing out actual problems that we noticed that people in our community were having and we're helping them solve that by getting quicker in their DAW through a bunch of different things from macros and key commands to how they... Uh, how they set sessions up to uh, how quickly they EQ, how quickly they compress, whether they use templates, how they use templates, like all this yeah. stuff. And, um, and yeah, it was aimed at an actual problem. And I'm not trying to sell speed mixing right. right now. I'm just saying that pointing out a problem and then trying to solve it is business. That is what you do as an entrepreneur. So there is, it's not all bad. What's the, li what's the link to speed, to speed mixing? I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> Dan, you're not the only person that's skeptical. Like we're skeptical too of everything we see. And uh, right, that's good. our audience is skeptical. And so our audience have all been uh, duped by people who are amazing at marketing and have absolutely nothing to offer. Dude, there's a huge site. And I'm not going to mention the name. There is a huge site that offers celebrity classes where you think you're going to finally get to find out what this fucking mega genius has to say. And then it just ends up being a glorified interview that you paid a hundred dollars for. And I paid for one of those and was unhappy. Yeah. So everyone's unhappy with that. And it ranges from that to people who are small time, but are really, really good at writing emails or really, really good at doing uh, video ads or whatever. And they sell people courses and things like that. And uh, there's nothing there. And because of those people, it's made the the course buying public, education buying public skeptical of the marketing. And so it's a real challenge for those of us who are actually offering legit stuff. And um, it definitely has made us change our approach multiple times with how we market things. And uh, I do believe though, and this goes for whether you're teaching private lessons or you're running a company or whatever, that at the end of the day, the truth wins. The truth wins in that Absolutely. if Absolutely. you're offering legit stuff, helping people get better, that will over time win the day, but the, win the war, but the, uh, the day-to-day -day battles, it's weird. Cause you kind of have to step into an arena that you might be uncomfortable with. Dude, 
We probably all did this. Do you remember going to shows and handing out like burned demos of your band? You want to know how many I did? Did you, you didn't do that once? Or did you do like hundreds of thousands? It's one of the two. I think I personally burned 27,000 uh, and handed them out. Yeah. When getting my band signed. Jesus, so yes, dude. I remember that. Yes. So like the amount, the amount of people that you would hand it to and they'd be like, yeah, sure. And then you go look in the parking lot and they're just like littered with your free CDs that you handed out. Which is why we did so many because we figured that since most of these are going to end up on the floor, we need to make sure that at least 1% of these people is a good number. Right. Versus like, like asking for a dollar, there's like an exchange and then that person owns the thing instead of being given it. Like there's like a, a, a level of like respect or something that, that exists in that. It's a commitment. Yes. Yes. So on, on Brown's note, I feel like that's a really, really big part of like using that free shit to get people interested. And then most of those people feel skeptical because of the free thing. And then the next thing probably isn't as good anyways, because typically those people using that format don't, in my opinion, have the complete thing to offer. That's not that's not a complete generalization. Um, tons of people do, but I found a lot of stairways to nowhere. That's a good way to put it. Well, that's why I think that if you're looking at it like a funnel, the top of the funnel being the free shit or the stuff that gets people in, where a lot of people go wrong, and I mean, we've done this too, but I think where a lot of people go wrong is they offer like a... Uh, like a stupid version of what they're offering paid, right? They offer like a really dumbed down version, um, which sometimes is cool if it's like a cheat sheet or some shit that like is useful. But I think that something like a podcast or a really good YouTube channel or something like that is way better because the kind of content that you offer, what you're offering them for free, it stands on its own. It's not like the free version of the paid thing. It is its own thing. And it is valuable in and of itself. No, people don't think that podcasts aren't worth shit just because they're free and they don't feel that way about YouTube videos yeah. either. And so I think that there's a way to have your free level be valuable enough to where people don't feel like it's a stairway to nowhere, as you would put it. Right. As long as whoever is like doing the marketing has figured out who exactly they're marketing to what that biggest pain point is for those people and like where they want to be, then they're doing, they're doing awesome fucking work. Like if you can, if you can answer those three questions in a way that's like not making the person into numbers on like a, on a profit sheet. Like if you're actually like taking into account their needs, who they are, what type of person mm -hmm. they are, how they learn, then all of a sudden the product that you provide is enhancing. It's not just a fucking addition to their life. It's enhancing their life. And I feel like that is something that, both of your guys' companies, like URM and Riff Hard, you guys offer that shit like crazy. There's tons of companies that I'm seeing that do that shit. There's tons of companies that I'm seeing don't do that stuff. But I feel like that is my, my biggest gripe with this whole thing, like to like really sum this up, is that when I see the carrot and stick method happening without looking at like these three questions, without like truly taking into account the, per the, the individual person's needs, it feels like you're just turning me into a, a number. A number and you start to get the impression that people are just trying to line their own pockets. And, uh, yes. and look, yes. everyone wants to make money. Look, we're, you don't start a business if you're not trying to make money. So let's not pretend that we're not trying to make money. We're trying to make money, of course, but, but that's not the only thing. 
right? So there's there's multiple things that you're that you should be wanting to get out of starting something and what you do for other people as corny as it sounds how you help make your part of the world a better place through what you do should be a big part of it in my opinion and so if your main priority is just extracting money from the market i think that's rough and i think people can sense it and i think yeah, it gives tangible. everybody else a bad name it, yet people can feel it, especially in the music and the metal scenes. Like they have, they're mm -hmm. like drug dogs for inauthenticity. It's crazy. Yeah. And especially in music. And I think in music, because it's such an emotional, it's such an emotional thing for people. It's so personal and there's so many dreams and just personal things wrapped up in it that a con artist can really use that against somebody. I mean, if you look at yes. if you look at selling and marketing there's a there's a thought out there that people don't make people don't buy things based on the data they buy things based on how they feel about the data um, and con artists know this this very fundamental aspect of how humans make decisions and in music it's very easy to play with that. And I'm not just talking about if you're trying to sell a product or something like I'm talking about when trying to sign an artist to a record deal or a management deal or anything. These types of uh, cons have been going on in music forever because it's easy. It's easy. Dude, the, the weaponization of emotions is, is insane. Yes. Using, using people's like deepest, darkest fears against them to get them to feel like they won't have to deal with that anymore only to get another 999 payment next month it's just like what is what is going on here sorry nine it's probably 97 99 it's changed now <laughs> i mean think about the cliche of how artists get approached by labels though i don't think that that this is so much the case anymore but the cliche of you're going to get rich from this. So like one day you're going to be headlining arenas. Do you want to go on tour with Slipknot? You know, there's a history of filling up impressionable minds with bullshit in order to take shiny yeah, lights, shiny yeah. lights in order to get them to sign a contract and then extract, 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 extract. Now for those of you listening who work at labels, by the way, who I've been working with for a long time. I'm not talking about you, most of you. I must just spit my water. No, I actually <laughs> think that 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 um that myth, I do think it's a myth because I do think that actually most people are good. I think most people are good. It, most mm -hmm. people at labels are they love music and they're working in the music industry because of their love for music and they want to help bands yeah. get bigger. Uh same with most managers, most everyone is in this because they love music, but there have been con artists who have been able to get through because of the emotional weird shit involved with music. And uh, we, we all know them. We've all experienced it, right? Truly. Oh man. Flashbacks like crazy right now. <laughs> yeah. We're all, we're all sitting here thinking about it. Right. And so of course there's going to be some that are just over the fucking top. I'm sure that there's, I'm sure that the majority of actors and people in Hollywood that you meet are, lower level narcissists like narcissists enough to put their face out there like mm -hmm. that but not so much that they can't work with people or anything right right it's not it's not so visible it ruins their life yeah they got to be able to get hired over and over and over again right like there's a cloak dude there's got to be some people though who because they're so good looking or 
they knew the right person or whatever, or a good actor or actress who get through and are just the most unbelievable fucking narcissist you could ever imagine in your life. And same, it just attracts that kind of person. And I think that music attracts some con people just because of the way it's set up. I was going to ask you, you mentioned a moment ago, those types of people tend to like come towards the music industry. Is that because you feel like musicians or I guess artists might be a better word to use in the situation Are artists more like emotionally vulnerable? Is that yes, kind of what you're? Absolutely. So these um, these these emotional vampires come in for their fucking for their feed. Well, artists are emotionally vulnerable. Number one. Yep. Which I'm not saying that as like a knock on artists. Like art is emotional, right? To be a great artist, you have to be in touch with your emotions, right? Mm-hmm. There's a dark side to that, which is if you're that in touch with them to where you can just like vomit them out into this great music all the time you're probably going to be a little bit more unstable. Not always. I know lots of great artists that are also perfectly stable, but I think that definitely people on the outside will probably think that they can prey on artists who are more emotionally vulnerable and also who are not interested at all in learning about the business side of things. So there's that too. That's the big one. Well, that is a very big one. And just remember that the way the music industry started record deals and the artist to business relationship was super predatory. Artists were considered basically assets or property that were there to make other people rich. And they got shot on so bad historically um, with contracts and just they weren't even looked at as people and um, over the years that's changed it still happens but we're, we're dealing with the remnants of that now record deals have changed a lot but it's gotten better are you saying that like the artist was prized before the art was back in the day like Picasso would be like you are mine Picasso but his paintings were not as important as he was Okay, so I'm not talking about that kind of artist. I'm talking about musical artists. Okay, sure. I honestly don't know much about the fine art world and uh, the relationships that they had with their benefactors or whatever. Sure, sure. Um, I do feel, though, that um, that fine artists have gotten a lot more respect from the ruling classes over the years than musical yeah, artists. truly. But I'm talking specifically about the record industry. Got and you, spe- specifically in the U.S. and in Britain. And uh, that, I'm talking about record deals. I'm talking about the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. Right, records. Yeah, right. the record industry with uh, musical artists and pop stars. And that's already not the worst time period for artists. The worst time periods were the early, early days. So I think that this is it's an industry that traditionally has been stacked against the artist. And for the most part, Artists have not done their part to educate themselves on how to do business. So, you know, when we have the periphery guys on, for instance, that's why I love having them on, because to me, that's how artists should be about their own business. Like they're the, they're like the gold standard to me of how artists should approach, should approach this, but it's still a very rare thing. And I get it that uh, a lot of artists just don't want to learn the business stuff. They're not wired that way. But uh, if they're not wired that way, they should at least get with a partner of some sort who is wired that way. Yeah, there's there's definitely something to be said about the amount of people. And I feel like more and more in today's day and age, more people are getting hip to all this stuff because there's like all these courses that we were just... Yep. I don't want to say negatively talking about. We were just talking about them. We weren't talking negatively about the ba- about the good ones. 
not at all. Yeah. Not at all. But all of these courses out there, it's like, you know, learn how to do your own fucking album art. Learn how to film your own stuff. Learn how to color grade your own shit. Learn how to operate a spreadsheet. Dude, I just was talking with my aunt yesterday about that. She, she's trying to teach me how to, like, learn Excel properly so I could fully do my taxes on my own. And I know, but then I have to, like, do my taxes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and there's the thing, though, is you recognize, like, the immediate accountability to, like, the choices you made that year. You recognize what that does for, like, your profit margin at the end, what you have, like, it, the, the control that you have over that makes you in control of your business. And whether you, like, did it or not, it allows you to see those numbers and do something with it for next year. As for Ozzy, I'm sure it was just, like, buy another truck of cocaine, like, whatever. You know, like, it's, and regardless of the budget, like, you you and I and, and, and Ale would be, like... Well, I guess we got to, you know, cut back on this. We should invest more in this. Like the accountability that we have by running our own shit, I think causes the, uh, no one's going to problem reaction solution us. Or at least working with people. You don't have to do everything yourself. In fact, you can't do everything yourself once, if things get to a certain level, you there at some point you got to trust the people you're working with, but you got to pick the right people. But yes, you're right. Just the fact that you can do these things now is a huge, and I encourage any artist to learn how to use Excel. Yeah, that's so, so, so guitar riff hard podcast talking about Excel spreadsheets. This is dope. We have a bunch of Excel spreadsheets. Well, Google sheets, but uh, we have a bunch of spreadsheets at riff hard. The amount of spreadsheets it takes to keep some like a creative business going is kind of unbelievable. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm looking to spread some other sheets. You know what I mean? <laughs> With that amount of numbers when I'm looking at a sheet like that, my brain just wants to fucking explode. And I know that's just, that's a, that's tolerance. That's my like patience. It's a bunch of shit. And it's like by learning to sit down and just do it, I will be that much better as a human, a better adult and a far more complete musician. I'm not and saying like, you need to love it. it or that you need to be an expert right. at it. There's, I work with people that are far better than me at that kind of stuff, but I at least know enough to understand what I'm looking at and to keep track of things and whatnot. And, but the thing is, I know artists who don't know how to do any of that. I mean, shit, dude, they don't know how to write a proper email or hit reply all like little th things like that add up into basically opening yourself up to get screwed by people who do know how to do things. Interesting. So this is this is another spot where you re you reveal a vulnerability that others can prey on you for. Well, well, re I'm making a joke about reply all, but like reply all illustrates the point because when you're on an email chain, who why would you not reply all, right? But who is it that doesn't reply all? It's typically artists. You'll be on a very important chain with the manager, label, somebody else and somebody else and the artist talking about super important stuff. And then who's the one that doesn't know how to keep that conversation going? It's the artist. So they can hit, they'll hit reply. And then the conversation will keep going without them and no one will say anything except for me. And that's just a, that's just a little thing, but I'm saying that overall, not just not knowing how to conduct yourself in business wise in the modern age, is going to get you fucked. Yeah, like that weakness in your in your armor as far as like your ability to be autonomous and run your shit, like it allows other people to recognize there's a hole in your shit and they could come in and potentially micromanage you. They could do like shit that doesn't necessarily need to happen. But by just like that one mistake, if you make that a couple different times, you're going to tell all the people around you, 
I'm kind of an idiot. <laughs> you take, you, know? you take the wheel. Now here's the yeah. thing. The problem there is if we go back to what we said earlier, that most people are good and are just trying to, you know, they're trying to help. They're just trying to do their job. Well, if you present yourself as someone who doesn't know what the fuck is going on, and I'm not saying that you need to be an overbearing prick, but if you uh, present yourself as someone who doesn't know what's going on, you send that message to people, they're going to feel like they need to be making all the decisions. And then you get into a situation where maybe they're not trying to screw you over, but uh, what are they supposed to do but take the reins? Because you can't. Yeah. And that's how artists end up getting pushed into directions that they feel like the company doesn't understand their art or is making decisions on their behalf that don't represent them properly as an artist. And that ends up screwing up business relationships and uh, things go south and uh, everybody dies. <laughs> so, business apocalypse. I think you're picking up what I'm putting down. Oh, definitely, dude. This is a not a topic I thought we would get into at all today. So I'm really, I'm stoked on where we're at with this. The concept of just like recognizing that as a musician, you can put effort into maintaining your like emotional stability and well-being, which would make you a more solid musician and more solid businessman, as well as by taking into account the fact that you could like all these, all these facets of the business that you kind of delegate to other people by taking an interest in them and at least understanding them to a certain degree it's an insurance plan you protect yourself from people manipulating or taking advantage i think that's really simply put and, and easy to apply manipulating taking advantage or or just doing their job because you're not helping Right. And in those instances, I've, I've even been in the situation where like, because of the role I have in the band, I'm sort of like outside a little bit of like that inner circle. And sometimes discussions are going on that I'm not a part of that make me feel excluded. You sure we should talk about your band? I don't want to get you in trouble. No, 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 dude. This is old <laughs> bands. This is old bands. Specify then. Yeah. This is my old band fallen figure. Like this is just like, and, and sometimes my old band is Blood Runs Black, but it's not, it's not even like a negative thing. It's just the fact that like, because of the infrastructure and the hierarchy of the way that things worked in the band, I would get trickle down information. And because of that, even though that's just the way it was, it made me feel excluded. Do you know what I mean? And that, that gave me like an air of like resentment sometimes, even though I didn't need it. It's just what it was. That's business. I wasn't invited into the boardroom because I wasn't a board member. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And And it's just in recognizing that like those instances where you might be like excluded from a discussion is for your well-being and for the well-being of the band. But that might leave a bad taste in your mouth, which makes you act like a fool maybe which I've also done. If you end up in that situation where it's you're being excluded, not because the topic has nothing to do with you. Like for instance, um, people are talking about coding a site, one of my sites and it's deep technical shit. I'd like to be excluded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just exclude me, please. I right. I'd have nothing to add, but if you're getting excluded because the other people think that you don't have anything to add and your opinion doesn't matter in this and uh, you would like it to, then one of two things happened. A, it's a bad match, right? To yeah. where you're with the wrong people, or you just have not proven yourself as being yeah. someone who's capable of being part of that conversation. Truly. You, re you revealed those vulnerabilities and your inability to like fill out the spreadsheet or like advance the show that everyone asked you to do. Like whatever simple task it was that you failed resulted in those like simple exclusions that are really just benefiting the, the sum of the whole, but you might take that as a negative thing. And my, my point in all of this is really just like 
all of those things are good and it's so easy to be consumed in those situations and make something out of it that it really isn't. And it's just in recognizing that like being in a band or being the band, you have to recognize your role and when to sort of like let go of the wheel and close your eyes or like completely take the wheel. And I think there's there's definitely something to be said about the back and forth of those two. But but yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing. And also to <laughs> to clarify, I'm not talking about Ice Nine Kills, dude. Ice Nine Kills has been a fucking dream to be in. It's the best best business run band I've ever not been in, but like I probably have heard about. So it's really, really cool to be a part of such an awesome team. Yeah, the, it is a pretty magnificent team. You know, I want to talk about something that you were just saying a little bit more, how it is a good thing if that happens to you. It can help you realize what your shortcomings are. I do think that, just like we were saying, that most people are not nefarious, don't have nefarious intentions. If you're getting excluded from something and everybody else has good intentions, right? They are just trying to advance the project and they excluded you for some reason. Yeah. You're right. There probably is a for your own good or for the project's own good element to it. And if that is the case, it's important to find out why. It's important to find out why and see what you could do differently in order to not be excluded if uh, you feel like you're being excluded. Yeah, truly, dude. There's like, there's almost this aspect of like, if you could trick yourself into thinking that like, it's just a surprise party for you. <laughs> like you could almost, <laughs> you could all, you could almost trick yourself into being stoked about it. You're like, all right, well, they're, they're doing what they need to do back here. If that's the case, I'm just going to work on this like next song while they're doing that. And then, oh, we have this tour booked. Fuck. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that was happening. Surprise. Like, it's just, it's, it's honestly like, these like little mental shifts are things that I'm a fucking I'm a fucking weirdo and I like to play with those things. So for me, bringing in my baggage of how like in the past I might have taken an instance like that and spun it in my head to where like oh man they're all scheming against me they want me out and in reality it was because like having a third person in there talking about a tour just isn't fucking necessary. That's 100% trickle down information. Like I don't need to be a part of that, right? Okay, so take that tour example, right? You don't need to be in the conversation because their job is to plan the tour. The part where you do need to be in the conversation is, can you do the tour? Are you down? Right. But the thing is that if you recognize that, that you're better off sitting there writing the next thing, because that's what you're best at. And you guys all recognize that these are your roles and it's communicated, you know, they're over there having a meeting about the tour. I'm over here writing this shit. We're a team they're going to relay the information to me. I'm going to play them what I wrote. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Do you think, do you think a goalie is bitching about not making enough points that game? No, of course not. Like, <laughs> exactly. He's, he's stoked on, on blocking shots. His, his purpose isn't even shooting once. Like that's, it, it's, it's really just a role recognition thing. And I think it, it oftentimes isn't really clearly defined as far, as far as like, this is the first time I've been in a band where, like, we'll talk about that shit, right? But before, it was sort of just, like, just kind of come in and fill in the cracks. Like, wherever there's cracks, just fill them in. Whatever needs to get done, someone will step up and do it, right? Um, and that does work unless you're the type of person who always feels like you need to be the one to step up, in which case everyone around you knows that. You know what I mean? <laughs> it works up to a certain point. Yeah. That form can lead to some resentment or some kind of bitterness. But, but yeah. It's, it's interesting for sure. It doesn't work if you want to do something long-term no. or if, so, if you want to do something big. Right. That doesn't work. Like the bigger something gets and the longer you want something to last, the more 
roles need to be defined and the communication needs to be upfront and on the table about those roles. Like when something is small, it doesn't matter so much as long as shit gets done. Because when you're small, you're just fighting to exist, right? Scraps. Yeah. Scrapping. You're fighting. I mean, you're always fighting, but like scraps. So whoever can convert that scrap into something awesome. But uh, as you get bigger and there's a lot more people involved and there's a lot more money on the table and the stakes are way higher, mm-hmm. you can't just have people just like doing something because they felt like it or or whatever. Like you need to communicate about these things yeah. and it all needs to be defined. Or if the band is very business minded, it, like still though, even if they just want to play guitar, they have this communication with their other band members. That's right, right. And, and beyond that, they would be, at a certain point, being declared king or queen or declaring themselves king or queen, right? So to a certain regard, defining your own role really, really, really helps everyone else define their own roles. Like recognizing your strengths and, and the, the fucking lame-ass saying of doubling down on your strengths, but really recognizing that stuff, I think, really helps other people in the band see that we all need to lean into our own fucking strengths to make this like collective consciousness being that we're creating together as complete and strong as it can be, you know? Yeah. Defining, really defining, like everyone in the band define their own role is really what I'm saying. Having like me defining everyone's role is not going to work. I need to find my own role. You got to define your own role, but uh, in in conjunction with other other people, because you can't just, you can't just crown yourself King if nobody else agrees that you're king for instance um well well i think you can i think that's how kings work if no one if no one fight no well someone dude someone's got to agree with them or or be willing to fight them about it yeah but but at some point they're gonna have to have people behind them who agree i'm 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 literally thinking about kings and swords right now this is really hard analogy (laughs) but it works because you can't take power without people agreeing that you are the leader like everyone's got to be on the same page. There might be people who disagree that you have to unseat in order to have power, but like even a dictator has to have uh, their squad, right? They have yeah. to have the people they work with. People have to agree. In my mind, I'm seeing like a bunch of movies where some like rebel takes out like the, the fucking, the big bad dude. And then all of a sudden he turns around and everyone bows to him all of a sudden. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it, there's, there's, both of these things kind of go hand in hand. It's a little bit of like the people have to accept it or you've proven yourself. Like your actions have proved it to where you step into the role. And everyone How is else that is like, different? I mean, you, I guess proving it is by action. If you've proven yourself, then you've made people agree, right? Sure. I guess. Sure. Let's roll with it. If people disagree that you're the leader, like you say, I'm the leader. I fucking cut that dude's head off. Now, now I'm king. Right. And everybody around you, like the 200 people that work in that building with you in that castle are like, cool. Then you're the King. But if they say, uh, uh-uh, uh, fuck you, then, uh, they disagree and you're not going to be King for very long. Yeah. I guess you did not prove yourself and you did not get their, uh, their approval on that. You're right. So how it translates to a band is if you want to be the person who runs the numbers and you're the most qualified to run the numbers and interface with the business manager the most or whatever, mm-hmm. everybody's, you can say, I want that role. But if everybody else is like, dude, you suck at numbers or dude. Yeah. Cool. You, you think you want that, but I'm the one with the accounting degree. I should do it. Like, right. It's everyone's got to agree about what these roles are. If you want to say, look, I don't want 
much to do with the business. I just want to write and play. Everyone needs to be on the same page about what those roles are. However, obviously you can't let people define your role for you. It's a conversation. It always has to be a conversation if you want to be part of a team. So true. I can I cannot get Game of Thrones visuals out of my head right now. This is really challenging. <laughs> the thing with Game of Thrones is uh, whenever everybody likes something, I don't want to watch it. Dude, I watched it last year. This first time ever last year. Dude, Game of Thrones is great. And uh, Breaking Bad was another one where everyone was so into it that I put it off for a long time. And then I was like, God, I'm an asshole. This shit is amazing. But... But, but, but the thing is, dude, they're usually wrong. Usually when the, the, when the majority of people are saying something's great, they're wrong. And so these cases like Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones are total exceptions where the public happens to be right about something being great. Is that a, a pop culture commentary? I'm curious. Wait, what did you mean by that? Okay. So I think that most people don't have super high standards for entertainment, for instance. So right. whether something is mediocre or fucking great, most people will just be happy to be entertained. So when they, so like a Marvel movie comes out or something, people will be like, or Wonder Woman or something comes out, like they're going to say that it's fucking great. And then I go see it and I'm like, this is not great. This is okay but it's, it's fast food you're acting like this is like the best thing that ever happened and they act like this is the best thing that ever happened about all, lots of stuff that comes out every year multiple times a year there will be a show right. or a movie that comes out that's like the most amazing thing that ever happened or the best show and so if you've been hearing that for 15 years on social media you start to like the moment that they start saying that go the other way. But there have been a few times where the public is actually right. Like they were right about inception. Like I remember when inception came out, everybody was like, Holy shit, this is mind blowing. So of course I didn't want to see it. And then I saw it and was like, wow, they're right. Uh, Breaking bad. Wow. They're right. Game of Thrones. Wow. They're right. But it's just rare. And it's just, and it's not anything other than the fact that they just have a wide range of what they're going to be cool with. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be this high level cinema or uh, or television in order to entertain them. It could just be yeah. a Marvel movie. So right. you just need to understand that when you're taking recommendations that that not everybody wants shit to be five stars. They don't care. Do you do you think do you think that has anything to do with like tribalism and like wanting to be a part of things that the tribe has decided is cool? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's for our own good most of the time. We don't have the same motivators that our ancestors had for way longer than we've had the modern world. They Their survival was key and being tribal is part of what kept them alive. Right. But our modern world has only been here 100 or 200, 300 years, right? which is a blip in evolution. So we're still humans who are designed for nature living in this modern world where these problems don't exist anymore. And so that need to be tribal just comes out about dumb shit that doesn't matter like movies yeah it's weird i was i was talking to uh my girlfriend probably like last week about this she's she's studying like a bunch of like therapy and brain shit and i don't i don't know what world of stuff she's gonna get into but we always talk about this shit and uh apparently exclusion translates to like some form of like i don't want to say death it's not the right word but like being excluded 
relates back to like the tribalism thing. And if you were to be excluded inside of a tribe, it really equated to like death, la- lack of survival. It, it yeah. equates to you will not make it. You, you don't have a, a tribe to make sure you're eating and drinking clean water and shit. Literally. So that, that thing is still instilled in our brain. And it's something that we're all dealing with right now. The world is forcing us to be excluded from all of the things we want to be. And then we make our own choices that result in good or bad things that allow other people to make choices of whether we're included or excluded. It's wild, but just the idea that internally in your, in your mind and in your body, that feels like fucking death, which with relates back to what I was saying before about having to like bypass that feeling of when you're being excluded from things that might be happening in business or band, trick yourself into thinking it's a surprise party and you're <laughs> bypassing, you're bypassing like some 3 million year old brain mechanism. I don't know, but it's it's a weird it's a weird concept though, just to connect the idea to to death. It's not weird if you understand where it's coming from, right? It is weird for people who don't think about that because the because when they think about feeling weird about being excluded, all they know is their feelings and yes. they're excluding me. Mm-hmm. They're not thinking about I'm overreacting to this because I've been because I am hardwired with millions of years of hardwiring yeah. to react a certain way to this. And in reality, I need to chill and look at the situation for what it is. Yeah, dude, it's it's weird. Like you're not going to be in a situation where like you feel like everything's going wrong. And then you look around and you're like, I'm in my own house and I have like running water and like food in my fridge. Like that's the survival shit that allows you to feel comfortable disappears somehow and you're all of a sudden feeling like the world's collapsing it's literally a fucking conversation being had around you it's just such an interesting thing that the mind can make it like a nuclear bomb going off it's just i don't know i don't know man i'm (laughs) i'm so this past year i've just been so intrigued in minds and the way that the mind like connects to the body and the way that like the the chemicals in the body feed back into the mind to create a loop of that thought it's just fucking endlessly interesting to me how does it relate to playing guitar deeply so i i recently found this book called breaking the habit of being yourself by this guy named joe dispenza have you guys ever heard of him he's been on rogan's podcast a buttload i have i think my mom showed me that book and i was like mom are you trying to tell me something (laughs) yes you have to stop being yourself son here's a book you suck son yeah it's a fucking incredible book uh and for those of you guys listening to give you like a brief synopsis of what's going on in that book, it's kind of like the quantum and brain and neural science behind what meditation can do and what like manifesting really is. And I know how like foofy and turned off like three fourths of your audience probably just became because I said that word. But um, effectively, what this book pinpoints and talks about is the three brains. You have your neocortex, the most recently evolved brain. Then you have your limbic brain or mammalian brain. That's the second brain. And then your first brain, the reptilian brain or the cerebellum. Inside of your neocortex, this is where like intellect, philosophy, discussion happens. Like you and I, all three of us right now, we're just having a neocortex party. That's all this is, right? Um, but if I was to, if this was to turn into a guitar lesson, let's say, what would happen is I would be sharing everything that is mine that I own with you speaking to your neocortex, and then we would be like, cool, let's go ahead and check out what I just talked about. Let's feel it in the hands and see what's going on. So then we translate from mind to body, put it in the hands and see what's going on. And the second that your body physically responds properly to that, your mind goes, oh shit, the thing I was thinking was right. And then your body's like, yeah, and it feels like this. Here's a bunch of fucking oxytocin and serotonin and melatonin and dopamine and like good 
good feeling chemicals that will generate a feedback loop. So like me thinking something caused my body to do it. It happening properly made my body release chemicals, which got sent back into my neocortex. And you create this feedback loop between uh, your limbic brain and your neocortex. And it's effectively like every day, I said this to a student last week, I was like, every day we take a shower. They were like, no, what, what, are, you, what are you getting at? You mean every week? Yeah, every, exactly. Yeah. So every, every day we take a shower, it's just like maintenance of the body, right? So imagine that every time, if I was to teach you something today in a lesson, you're going to absorb it to the best of your knowledge, and then you're going to get it into your body the best you can. So that's like me sharing what's mine, and then it's in your body, so it's ours. It becomes your job to make it yours in the time between our lessons. I say this to my students all the time, and it fucking sucks because it's so real. You don't get better in our lessons. You get better between them. And it's like painful to recognize, but that that potent thing is, is super fucking real. But effectively, between the lesson, it's your job to spend going between your limbic brain or mammalian brain and then trying to get into your reptilian brain or your cerebellum. So to do that, it's like taking a shower every day, except that the water doesn't drain out. So every time you feel the thing properly, that is like mirroring the thought and the knowledge that you have, your, your bathtub, so to speak, fills up a little bit. The next day fills up a little more until it overflows into your cerebellum and it's mastered. So is that a fancy way of saying muscle memory? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say no? so. But I could. I could. Eas- I could easily be wrong. But I'm not a fan of the term muscle memory in general because, like, your brain is in your head. Fair enough. But I. I don't think muscle memory is like exact. But isn't that what people mean by it? It's just. It's just in there. I don't know. When you. When you. When you say. I could say the same thing. When you say muscle memory, do you just mean mastery? Yeah. Right. So like, it's. I guess. I guess it goes both ways. But to me, muscle memory. How do I say this? All words are are signposts pointing in a direction that leaves the listener open to interpretation. So what muscle memory means to you is going to be different to me, different to Brown. So for instance, I've been doing this thing with students, like the word pull off, fucking worst, worst name for a technique of all time, because everybody is, is going to interpret it their own way. And the interpretation of a pull off is literally that pull your finger off. A pull off is anything but that. If you pull your finger off, you get zero attack, and then you're doing excess motion away from the string. The real motion is more of a snap down, right? So I'm changing the word pull off to snap down, and all of a sudden, without me teaching what that is, people can just do it, because the word means something different to them. Mm -hmm. The thing you think about, or the way you think about something usually manifests into how you do it, right? So like, I'm being a Semitic, anti-Semantic asshole. Yes, I'm Jewish. Sorry. I'll tell you why. I just am wondering. This is what I mean by muscle memory. I'm just trying to make sure I understand. Yeah. To me, muscle memory is when, um, you know, first you learn something, you don't have it in your body yet. You just, you first you don't know it, then you know it consciously, right? So mm-hmm. you're thinking about the fact that you know it, but it's, you still, if someone quizzed you on it, you probably wouldn't be able to recite it back. Or if you had to get on stage, you would probably fuck up. You don't really know it. Then- out of the conscious knowledge, then you start to work into your subconscious knowledge to where, um, to where you, you repeat it so many times that it just becomes a part of you subconsciously to where you don't have to think about it anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just in there. And to me, that's, and to where, so you're on stage and something distracts you, but your body yes. just keeps going. Cause it's in yes. there. That yes. to me is muscle memory. And that to me is exactly what you're saying too. Yeah. Yeah. So like effectively, this is the like the newer science behind, mm-hmm. I guess, what the processes of learning and how it becomes 
I don't know it, I kind of know it, to I've, like, I own this shit, right? Like, the, a, a good example of this would be, like, I don't know what the world of uh, getting your driver's license is in the UK, but in America, you take, like, this, you, you study a bunch of bullshit, and then you have to take a written test to prove that you can regurgitate memorized information, right? So the, that first step is completely neocortex. It's all just, like, intellect, philosophy, knowledge. They do the same thing, except they have to read it backwards. Right, right. Or don't don't British people read up and down? Isn't that how it works? <laughs> God. So then the next step would be like getting into a car with a student driver ed teacher, right? And then he's going to be like, yo, I want you to put your blinker on. And you're like, all right. And then he's like, you fucking idiot. That's your windshield wiper. And you're like, oh, I don't like the way that feels. All right. So that's all of a sudden that's in your body. You're going from like all intellect. I'm writing this shit out to I'm sitting in here in the car with my body running this shit and now I have the ability to like access the chemicals in my body that I could create that feedback loop. You do the training enough and then all of a sudden I can drive to band practice while talking to my girlfriend on the phone while eating a snack and listening to the newest Riff, Riff Hard podcast. The thing in the background that just happened, I drove safely without killing anyone. Part of what I left out is in the uh, repetition stage. It's a stage where you consciously know it, but you don't subconsciously know it, right? So you will keep making mistakes, but you know it consciously that you're making a mistake. So it'll go from somebody else correcting you because you don't know anything, right? right. To where you're correcting yourself. Yes. To where, man, that's the wrong note. I know what the right note is. That's the wrong note. And I'll correct it to where um, eventually the next stage is you just know it. But uh, yes. so it goes from not knowing anything to knowing that you don't know it and some and somebody or yourself showing it to you to you knowing it on one level but not another and training yourself. Yeah, it's 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 so it's so interesting. So say that if you don't play guitar like me for 10 years, it hasn't been 10 years yet, but like say you haven't played in your band for 10 years, you haven't played those riffs, right? So you go to play these songs and you might remember a couple things, but then there's other spots that are just black holes. Once you relearn them though, then it's like, oh yeah, I remember this. It's in there. It's just rusty. To me, it's like, uh, how do I say this? Like when you're, when you're developing it at first, you're an architect, you're building things from the ground up. And then once it's in you, you change to an archeologist and you have to just like redig up the thing that you've already built. So like in, to a certain regard, I feel like like the amount of times that I've played it, like I could probably pull out like an As Blood Runs Black song from eight fucking years ago and probably re-remember re it, which is a really silly word to try to say. Remember is already the fucking word. But I could remember it probably after a few minutes of just brushing that dust off the top to reveal that like skeleton in the fucking ground. It's it's really what it is. Like it's still in me to a certain regard. Like maybe the, maybe Brown the pillow remembers the shape of my face, but it's not necessarily there, you know? Like it feels, it feels like it's, it's something similar to that. Like it doesn't, in my experience, feels like it doesn't completely dissipate. Like I just have to like refresh, like you said, Dale. So my basic understandings of the way that the brain works is uh, through uh, neural pathways and synapses that fire, right? Yep. And the more you repeat something, the more that that pathway, it's like a physical pathway for the synapse to fire through that yep. gets reinforced. And if you don't utilize it, yep. like if you don't keep on firing down those pathways, they actually start to degrade and go away, but they're still kind of there. I mean, maybe eventually they'll completely go away, but I don't know enough about it to know, but I do know that they will start to not only erode, but the brain will find other pathways to be using. But the thing is, all you need to do is like uh, 
start using them again and they'll come they'll return yes it's exactly like a plant like a couple leaves start to like die on the plant and then you pull off the, the like dying leaves and all of a sudden the bush like grows way more the energy is being sent to everything at the same time and if you take a couple of those things away it's just going to get redirected to everything else like the the more that you fire these neurons together the more they wire together is really what it is and going back to what i was saying before like this this neurological understanding of the learning process is exactly it's exactly what you're talking about, Ale. It eventually becomes the term muscle memory, whether like the semantics behind that or not, or, or, or what we're all like on board for, like that's really what it is. But effectively, like the the learning process is best served if it's gonna be head to hands to heart. So heart is like where it's yours and you fucking own that shit. It's like in your cerebellum, your reptilian brain. But then practice to go on what you're saying before, that equation gets flipped a little bit to where you wanna put your hands first focus on your body and then your head becomes an authority waiting for moments where it's distracted so the second you let you let yourself run the thing and then you see a problem you go oh fuck okay that note to that note i have to like remember the thing that he was he was saying and i got to do this and this and this so by flipping the script and putting your body first you let yourself run whatever you've earned to be autonomous at that point like whatever is going to be automatic and running in the background you're seeing what works and then you put the authority on top of it to like tighten up a bolt here and there and then on your way to mastery, the more you spend in that time, it's like if you were saying before, Brown, like uh, if your face dissipates from the pillow, it's like the, the analogy I was using before, how the bathtub fills up with that, that chemical bath every so often. If you accidentally knocked that, that drain and all of a sudden everything flowed out, you'd have to start again. But it, it's building on it until it overflows into your into your state of mastery. So effectively, like the learning to practice equation, I feel like has been really, really helpful for students because it gets them out of being too cerebral when they're trying to practice alone. The amount of times that I'm having students hit me up as like a, with like an emergency, like, hey, I'm having this problem and I don't know what to do with it is way lessened just by helping them understand that a practice session is a different format, a different focus. And then things switch again when you get into like writing and performance, like just in recognizing that you have your, your thinking, your body, and then like, I guess what would be like natural or like, I don't, I don't even, I don't even know what the fuck metaphysical, I don't even know what word would be used for like what you just are at the end of that tunnel. But just by simply playing with these three things, it's, it's a really simplified way of looking at art and knowledge and learning in general. All right. So say that someone is getting on riff hard and they want to really learn one of Brown's down picking gym exercises, one of the complex ones that's some crazy ass fucking pattern. So how would you suggest that someone go about learning it? So understanding like the, the rudiments, understand, being able to talk about what's going on. If you can say it, you can play it. Like there's something that I spend a lot of time on as far as rhythm goes with my students. You guys have probably heard of conical before. Da, taka, takita. It is life changing, dude. I learned it from John McLaughlin. I wish personally, that'd be fucking cool. I learned it from like some YouTube shit like 10 years ago but it absolutely changed my fucking life. And that whole system is insanely cool because it's taking advantage of the language center in your brain. Like if you can say it and if you can feel it in your body, then my ability to play it on a tabla, which is what they've designed it for, or translating it to the guitar becomes way easier. What portion of your brain do you think is designated towards guitar playing and rhythm? I'd, I'd probably say zero, right? As where there's a large portion of your brain designed for language and if you can take advantage of that and train them simultaneously you've hacked the system so like the the knowledge aspect of it i would make sure that conical is understood because if you can say the rhythm with your fucking face hole 
then you could probably play it a lot easier. And at best, you'll understand it more so you can break it down. So is that similar to like when I was going to guitar school and learning improvisation and they wanted me to sing what I was singing and play it at the same time, even though I'm making it up on the spot? Like, uh, yeah, like BB King, John Mayer kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, that's it's it's connecting to the same part of the brain. Um, That's like the ability to free associate and be connected to your mind and body at the same time. And that's like a really, really, really potent exercise. But this is a little different because it precedes the guitar. Like okay. that, it would it'd be more like if I asked you to sing something and then play it. Got it. Which that sounds impossible. <laughs> if you're if you're like improv a line with your face, and yeah, then, yeah. that would be crazy. That's actually good practice. When I've done it, it's amazing how much better my improv would get. So much better. It's incredible. Yeah. What what's happening is, and I was I was trying to explain this. I did a, a songwriting webinar a couple of weeks ago, and I was trying to explain how I write solos. I think about horn playing, because what you have to do is connected to your breath. Every time that I need to fucking breathe, I'm gonna have to put a little pause there. It's gonna be like proper phrasing. And what is more primal? Then, like, what, what do you think, like, the first forms of music were? It's probably singing. Like, we were probably doing that shit in caves. Or beating things. Yeah, right. I don't... What those things are, we're not going to talk about. <laughs> but, like, I, I doubt I doubt they had, like, a fucking Fender Strat and, like, a Vox amp in there. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, it was, it, was, it, was, it was probably vocal. So, there's something really, really intrinsically connected, or connective, I should say, about the voice. Like, people connect to that. So, if you can connect to your guitar playing to voice, like, adding a breath to your line, then it makes it that much more human. So, if you can filter your playing through the lens of, like breath or voice it's really 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 powerful so i i dude i've absolutely hear you all like that the connection of those two things was one of the most potent discoveries that i had for sure like whenever i found that thing it changed my lines forever so you would say first learn how to do brown's exercise with your voice in this system i would say start with understanding like the the components of what makes that shit up so yeah like understanding what subdivisions are there, understanding how the conical works, understanding how to say it with your mouth, because that is intellect. That's all in your mind, right? Then the next step I would say is to reverse engineer putting it together. If you have a really hard time with the rudiments specifically, I would make more space to to look at that under the microscope. And here's, this is going to be a pretty big tangent. I'm fucking anti slow that down, speed that up. Because remember before when I was saying that words or signposts pointing in a direction that everyone's going to interpret their own way. When I say to you, yo, whoa, 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 slow down, dude, slow down. You're going to go, fuck this guy. All right, I'm going to do it once while he's watching. And then the second he's not looking, I'm going to see if I can play it fast. Like that is just the human condition because clock time is stress. You know what I mean? Oh man, like I'm, I'm sitting here trying to jump out of the shower. Like, dude, I have nine minutes to make it before this fucking podcast. Or like, yesterday I'm waiting for two minutes before, like, I'm waiting here for two fucking minutes for my student. Or like, do I have enough time to eat? Or like, pull out before I make a baby? Like, everything <laughs> is just stress. Everything is just time stress, right? So if I say to you, all right, you're doing pretty good. Let's speed that up. Immediately, speed up is connected in your body to adrenaline and cortisol because you're going to tense up, right? But if all of a sudden I say to you, let's make some more space inside of that. What that means is take these notes like this and just do this. He had his fingers together and then he spread them out for those of you listening, which is everyone. For those of you watching, you yeah. two, 
<laughs> we'll leave that to imagination. But effectively, it's like taking notes that are close together and spacing them out. And that'd be like me saying, hey, guys, we've been inside doing this podcast for like quite a while. Let's let's go outside and get a breath of fresh air. So it's like it, like we step outside and all of a sudden you're like, oh, fuck, dude, this is like liberating. There's like space to like look at shit and explore and discover things like the idea of space, your connotations to making space. Well, what does that mean in the context of a riff? When you're trying to learn something you need to be able to master it as quickly as possible. You don't want to spend your time doing things needlessly. So by me being like, hey, if you're going to learn Brown's riff, start at 80 BPM. Like you're going to probably have a guitar tab that says start here and like slowly ramp up. I'm, I'm anti that shit. I work from the top backwards so that I don't needlessly start from a slow position. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to find my threshold tempo and then put myself into a safety zone, which is about five to eight BPM below what I could possibly do. And then I do what I call the 8-4 method to work my way up. It's like two steps forward, one step back. So let's say I can play John's thing at... He's he's track, he's played it at 160, and I could do it at like 140, right? And anything past 140, I start to fall apart. So 140, I would say, is my threshold tempo. That's the fastest I could possibly do it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to drop 8 BPM below that into my safety zone. I'm going to spend like two minutes on that tops. And then I bump up... Oh, fuck. I said the wrong number. I bump back four, not eight. I'm sorry. I bump back four. I'm going to be at 136. I can do math, guys. I promise. <laughs> check me. Every time I do this, I'm going to ask you to check me on that, just so you know. <laughs> so I'd be at doing 136 for a minute or two, and that would feel a lot easier than 140, where I would like sometimes fall apart. And then I'm going to spend a minute or two on that, and then immediately jump up 8 BPM, which would be putting me at 144. It's going to feel a little bit harder than my threshold tempo, but I just mastered something 4 BPM below that, which is pretty easy. I'm now putting on like ankle weights before my game, right? So I'm playing 144, I'm struggling, but I can kind of do it. And then I go back four and I'm at 140 and all of a sudden it feels like I just took my ankle weights off and this is easy as shit. Now game time, I'm playing 140, making my threshold tempo really fucking easy for myself. Then I do it again. I bump up eight. So now I go to 140, nope, what is it? 148? No, 152. Oh, you wait, you bump up eight from 144. Yeah, so it's up eight, down four, up eight, down four, up eight, down four. Yeah, because you drop down to 140, your threshold tempo, and now you're owning your threshold tempo, right? I've dropped down to 136, one plus eight. Okay, hold on, hold on. Yeah, All right, so you start, 140 is where you started, where it, where you realize that's your threshold. Yes. So you drop down four to 136 because you can play it comfortably. Yep, in my safety Once you zone. drill that for a few minutes, um, then you bump up to 144, eight up. Yes. So that you go beyond the original oh, threshold. Oh, you're right, 148. Yeah, then down the threshold, then up eight. Thank you, thank you. How many people does it take to do fucking elementary math dude it's the one that understands it <laughs> well you'd be the one doing accounting in our in our non-existent no, bands. no you don't want me to so <laughs> 148 148 so you sit there for a second then you drop down to 144 which now feels really fucking easy to you which was beyond your threshold tempo then you jump up again to 152 you're struggling a little bit like basically within like a 20 minute time period i've found that like 80 percent plus of my students are able to drastically bypass, drastically, let's just say drastically, you're able to drastically bypass the tempo that you thought you were unable to accomplish within a very small time period. Because most of my students do this and have been taught to do this, where it's like, spend a couple days at this BPM, and then tomorrow, bump up 20. See how that feels. 
Like this is a this is a far shorter, quicker method to get you to the same end result, and it's bypassing. It doesn't give you time to fucking think. Have you ever done things that you probably thought you couldn't do, but you put in a situation where you have no fucking time to think, so you just you can do it? Yeah, of course. Probably like like extreme workout situ- situations. I feel like are like that. Usually, just anything extremely physical, right? It's it's a mental thing, and this is another thing that I've been saying for a while too. Albeit there is definitely a few caveats to this, but like. All of us are born with the same physical capabilities, right? For the most part. What makes John Brown able to do what the fuck he can do as where 99% of the rest of guitar players cannot do that? (laughs) I'd be willing to say that 80% of guitar playing is mental and only 20% of it is physical. Before you start playing it at 136, don't you first have to be able to sing it and like know it? Yeah. That way, that way you're, you're the authority. That way you don't need someone else sitting in the room to be like, that was wrong. But I guess Brown is saying that no matter what, even if you do know it, correct me if I'm wrong, Brown, even if you do know it mentally and you can sing it still, it's not like you're just going to pick it up at 136 and be able to play it. You have to learn it. So then that's slow. You first had to discover your threshold tempo. So that, that process in and of itself is the learning the riff, right? So then basically once you hit your wall, which is riff is learned, you've, you've devoured the riff you're now on your dissection phase of the riff, right? <laughs> Where you're, you're like you're like opening that shit up, looking at its guts to figure out what the fuck is going on with it. That thing can only really be had when you have enough space between the notes. Oh, let me finish that thought before I get too tangential on my own ass here. The idea of uh, creating space allows you to, in a relaxed way, look for things that make it work. Instead of like slow down becoming a chore, which we all as guitar players feel whenever someone else tells us to do it slow. Uh, even if I'm like wanting myself to go slow, my connotations to slow are lame. My connotations to faster, that's tight. I literally do not allow my students to say faster, slower. It's literally a mental shift because you think about the word differently. And all of a sudden by making less space between the notes, I've had students bypass their own tempo threshold by like 80 BPM within 30 minutes. It's, it's unbelievable. It's literally, it's all, it's all a mental game. And like, I, understand brown's concept of like well you're still physically needing to sit with there and develop the riff to get it down but once you know it playing with the tempo is like an auxiliary detail on top of it it's like a layer on top of it that doesn't fuck with anything before it like that knowledge is is set does that make sense so that every time that you drop down four bpm you're making space for you to in a relaxed way lois and clark yourself to fucking success just explore and, and discover shit. You know what I mean? So it's about learning somebody's part where you already know the techniques. Yes. Like, like this, exactly. Like there, if you have a, uh, a technical barrier, that's a completely different practice. I want to hear about these secondary processes and, uh, insurance plans, dude. And it's, it's like not even going to add to your policy. You won't even notice. <laughs> I came up with this thing that I'm calling the five stages of learning effectively all all of this shit is open to interpretation all of this has like caveats where like this question is had and then we're going to deviate and go into this but effectively like the the format of how i feel like it is best to devour dissect and resurrect like knowledge into making it your own thing and creating with it stage one is what what the fuck is going on what is happening here that i don't understand what key are we in what are the techniques what is that technique i've never seen that before blah 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 blah. so literally just like the what the topics the the details of that then you go into the how how does this work physically that's where like brown was saying how you'd be like well where is my hand sitting what part of the meat of my palm is touching uh between where uh, of my pickups should it be sitting on what's the angle of my pick like all of these physical things 
you bring up next. Why does it work theoretically? What is happening that makes this, what's the analysis of this part? And why does this chord to that chord work? And why do I love that shit so fucking much? Understanding the theory behind it is reverting back to head, but it's again, creating that feedback loop of physical, mental, physical, mental. Um, and then stage four would be when, when do I get to use this shit creatively? When can I implement what I've learned in this very like incubator safe space? How can I extract those parts and make something brand new with that shit? And then the last phase is where the hell do I go from here? What's the next thing that I need to learn that's going to build off of this? Why does it work theoretically? Depending on what's going on, if that's really just like a right hand thing, I would talk more about like how you are reserving energy to make sure that you can get through the whole thing, how to talk about developing endurance. Like that would be like the theory behind something that doesn't actually have like music theory would be how I approach that. The theory behind actually being able to do it, not necessarily traditional theory and harmony. Right. And it could, it could be that, or it could just be like, it could include it, but there's more to it than that. Do these five stages of bullshit make some sense to you guys? Or am I just like out my ass here? I think it's a good framework. I think uh, there's... Caveats to all of it, right? Well, yeah, but I definitely believe that there's not one thing that works every single time when it comes to no. music or really anything. And it's mm-hmm. it's funny. Like with URM, for instance, people always ask, like, how do you get toms to sound huge in a mix? And the real answer is it depends, but we can't have a school based off of it depends. The true answer really is it depends, but it depends isn't going to help anybody. And, uh, and to say that like, yeah, these five questions you're asking are great, but sure. Other times, other stuff will work. That doesn't matter. Anytime that you introduce a framework for yourself that helps you process a lot of information in a better way and learn it better Mm -hmm. and get better. That's great. And then when you hit the wall on that method, then try something else. But for what it is, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure that there's, a ton of guitar stuff that you can approach thinking like this, that you will be able to get way better at. Truly. It's, it's, it's really just a process. And also like, let's, let's be real ale. You guys didn't go to pens.com cause adult diapers took it before you could. I know it. <laughs> I know it. It depends.com. <laughs> let's see if it exists. <laughs> That's a good name for a podcast for sure. It's available for $2,000. I'm not buying it. Oh man. I'll, I'll pitch in on that, dude. I've moved. We could, do, we could do some crowdsourcing on this. I'm sure everyone's down. Well, they'll just buy it. So, like, my, my fucking brain operates in such a fucked up way that, like, I never don't know what my, my body's physically doing because I've spent so much time, di- di- there's that word again, dissecting my own shit to the degree where I, I know how to talk about it because I'm forced to a lot. Um, granted, there's for sure times, like, like I've started giving fucking vocal lessons, but, recently, that, but is, that's you. That's that's rare. Right. That's super right, right. rare. There's a ton of people, a ton of great guitar players who have developed insane knowledge. Who they can't talk about it. Can't talk about it. Um, now, you know, I think. Let me just say though about these isms and about the art behind all this. The these five questions don't address the art side of it but in my opinion you can't really address the art side of it that's the part that if somebody ad- ad- approaches knowledge and starts learning using these five questions 
they're going to get a lot better. But the thing is, their personality is just going to come through when they're playing, and the art of side of it will come through them. The, this just right. kind of gives them a uh, framework, like a, an intellectual and physical framework. But uh, the art side and the isms, that shit's going to have to come from them. Yeah. You're, you're going to have to run that through your filter of like, well, what does my song actually need? Like, I'm not into Ingve stuff. I'm not into Eddie Van Halen stuff. I want to I want to do some B.B. King singing my solo shit. Right. So all of a sudden that needs to become the focus. But like, man, yeah, Brown, you, you bring it up a really interesting point, dude. My, my head is spinning on that. What, what's spinning about it? Just the idea that like to go on what you were saying too, A.L., like the idea of the art thing. The thing that I wanted to infuse into this, these questions, which I find to be like most of the stuff that's missing in guitar lessons is like, when the fuck do I get to use this? And where do I go from here? Like those two questions I've rarely ever heard asked. Where do I go from here is in developing your artistic voice. Like what's the next step that I need to like attach? Like what's the addendum I need creatively? And then when do I get to use this is like, okay, like if I'm in... Any, any key I could be in, this this lick that I just learned in this exercise, this is outlining a dominant chord. So any key, I could do that over the dominant chord. And that's great. Those are great questions to ask. And you might come up with you might, yeah. some answers. Like, anytime there's a dominant chord, I can do this. And that'll get you through a lot of situations. But mm -hmm. that whole like artistic voice thing, it's going to rear its head yeah. where you don't expect it. And But the thing is, you can't, in my opinion, you can't like sit around trying to make that shit happen. Just try to get no, better. You're right. Just try to get better and try to understand things and try to think about what the next step is. That will get your subconscious finding the next step and it'll pop out when it pops out. But to intellectually know, okay, so this is going to work over anytime there's a dominant chord. That's great. It's great. You should know shit like that. Mm -hmm. But that's not the art. But that doesn't matter because this is so much more than art. So to me, these questions are the craft. Yeah. Which is just as important. Right. Let me let me ask you this. Are you are you talking more like how do you make what you have to say be worth listening to? Like is it more like along those lines, like that the art being like what you're instilling into the music, touching someone on the other side? Yeah. Which is hundred percent personal that's that like intangible x factor that you walk onto this earth or you you plop out of someone onto this earth with i think yeah and even if you're like wes hawk who is uh let's just agree one of the most unbelievable guitar players to walk the planet and probably yeah able to emulate dimebag better than anyone else i've heard but still mm -hmm. he doesn't sound like dimebag he sounds like him even if he analyzed and i'm sure he did all of dimebag's isms there's still a next level beyond the physical isms that is totally undefinable yeah that is personality that's the art side yeah that's intangible and i don't think that people should really bother trying to figure that out just because it will come out no matter what it is who you are and if other people if you have something worth saying that other people will care about that's not up to you actually yeah it's weird though um i have developed some weird format of helping people understand a direction to go in as far as defining like the voice that they're interested in it comes from it comes from a series of like really really simple dumb questions i call it like your musical DNA really, but it's like, let's talk about all of your favorite genres. Then I want to talk about all of your favorite bands from those genres, all of your favorite guitar players from those genres, all of your favorite non-guitar players from all of those things. Then I want to talk about all your favorite vocalists. And then we've all made a South Park joke already, right? So we all watch South Park, I think. Fair to say? Oh yeah. Basically, 
I came up with this process for myself. I was like, I'm painfully cerebral, painfully analytical. Um, so I did this thing like many, many years ago where I did like a fucking dossier on myself and like what musically I'm about. And it took me, I had this binder of information I didn't know what to do with for a while. I wrote all of these fucking genres out, bands, guitar players. And when I'm saying musical DNA, it's not shit that I like, it's shit that I bleed if I'm cut open. It's like the shit that's a part of me, right? And I recognize that like, so for instance, like let's bypass guitar players. Let's get into like some of my favorite like non-guitar players. Like I'm talking Coltrane, Thelonious Monk, Victor Wooten, Naveen Copperweiss, Evan Brewer. You know, just like ran random dudes who just are fucking incredibly inspiring. Then let's get into vocalists. Maynard, Chris Cornell, fucking Bone Thugs in Harmony. You kidding? Shit is tight. So like, for instance, for that, you're, you're, you're going through that. And you're like, all right, I see where this guy's going. The shit at top's going to be really fucking important. And then all of a sudden, I literally like knocked my bind. It was like South Park episode. I like knocked my binder over and saw it from this other side and recognized that my guitar playing is the melisma and slur of Maynard. It's the vibrato and power of uh, Chris Cornell and Lane Staley. It's the tripleted, spastic, chaotic delivery of like Bone Thugs and Harmony. Who else is on my fucking list? Uh, the the note choice of Brandon Boyd from Incubus. Like I'm a huge like it's it's just really fucking interesting by recognizing that the vocalists are really the thing that speaks to me most. And then I get into like Devine Copperweiss's technicality, Evan Brewer's use of percussiveness while also being extremely fucking melodic, Victor Wooten's just complete mastery of music, John Coltrane's fucking everything, his note choice, his delivery, his phrasing. So these are all things that I put at the forefront of things that I want to grow into and emulate more. And the more that I do these things that are disconnected or not as like citable as my favorite bands, my favorite guitar players, it makes my unique voice on the instrument that much more fucking unique. And it's, it's, it's funny to me to say this now, and I'm like, I'm equally as amazed as fucking anyone would be to hear it. But like when I get hit up saying like, hey dude, I heard this song, uh, is that you playing the guest solo on it? The fact that like my playing can be heard and understood is like all I've ever fucking wanted. You know what I mean? The fact that someone could hear me play a note or two and it sounds like me instead of Wes or instead of John or instead of Ale, like those, those are the unique characteristics that I think are worth striving for. And I think it comes from the shit that you love most about people that you grew up listening to. And it's disconnected from the things that are connected to what you're doing, like not guitar players. Okay. So I could tell you mine. Mine is Gustav Mahler meets George Harrison meets Morbid Angel meets Tchaikovsky. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but you put all those things together and it still doesn't explain the stuff I write and why I write it. It could to a certain degree. like To a certain degree. What is it that you like about George Harrison? Uh, phrasing. What is it that you like about Morbid Angel? Sick-ass low riffs. What is it you like about Tchaikovsky? Melody. Do you not infuse those three things into your playing and writing? Yeah, but not consciously. That's what I'm saying. It's what you believe. It's your DNA. Yeah, but there's more to it than that because the way that it blends together is undefinable. That's your like unique human element that's like the ale filter, right? Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's helpful for me to have understood that, but it wasn't helpful for me when writing something. Like I wasn't like, all right, so I need to phrase this like George Harrison would, but but this riff needs to be like where the slime lives. Like I don't think about that kind of stuff. It's a woodshedding phase. It's like when you're like locked in your fucking room working on your shit. That's not like what I'm doing in the room with John Feldman working on a song. You know what I mean? Like 
Mm-hmm. It's incubator life. Like that's what that shit is. When you have the time and the wherewithal. So this, so it's kind of like an exercise that like in orchestration where the exercise would be take this melody and move it successfully through every instrument group in its most powerful register, but don't let it sound like an exercise and it's all got to build towards something. Yes. Yeah. Like that forced, that forced parameter creativity thing is absolutely what it's about. Mm -hmm. All of this is so like personal and like, like even just talking about like Dimebag versus Wes Halp, like how the fuck could Dimebag explain how much effort or power he's putting into a note? How could you like relatively understand that energy he's putting into it? The pressure, the weight that his hand has. He can't explain that shit. There's no metric on that. It's Dimebag. So the real thing doesn't even emulate itself successfully. And then when you take a guitar player like Dimebag, even though he sound like himself every time, if you took the same solo five different nights, there's going to would be different. Like, so even Dimebag couldn't emulate Dimebag. Exactly. It's weird. It's a lightning in a bottle situation for sure. I mean, you also, you also have just like the half life of fucking circuits. Like that shit's your connections are degrading over time. Like there's going to be a change, even technically speaking in your amp, right? Like besides the variation of you or the variable of you. Yeah. Jesus. (laughs) I need to say though, this is the kind of stuff that I don't necessarily think that a musician should be expecting out of their teacher. So getting the right kind of questions from you, that's great. But like at the end of the day, as you know, from developing your own shit and everyone we know who has developed their own sound and whatever, that is a completely personal exploration. Yeah. It's everyone does need to be obsessed enough to figure it out on their own. It's so, so fucking real, man. There's, there's also something about like the, you, you, you won't be able to like physically show anything. If you're like, want to get fit, for instance, you have to do the fucking work for, for your body to like react the way you're hoping to. It won't just all of a sudden be like that. So like the work that we need to put into developing our, our touch on the guitar, finding your specific tone, what type of note choice are we like into specifically? That's the work that needs to go into having like the thing that you walk into a room and people like see on the surface. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like the, the act of simply like taking the time to write that shit out, the act of acknowledging it and putting on paper just allows you to use the information if you want to. Otherwise it is just an invisible amalgamation cloaked in like your fucking past. Right. It's not going to be really easily tapped into until you like think about it and put it on paper. And again, this isn't something that like you put on paper and you're like, oh, ooh, ooh, I got to work on that thing. It just becomes something that you recognize like, and this is, this is actually really helpful for people who are in a place of the beginning phases of developing their voice on the guitar because it helps them recognize what to focus on rather than what could be a waste of time. What are your most influential people? What do they sound like? And also what are they doing? Well, I can give you an example of something like this that has worked for me, that did mm-hmm. work for me when I was, because I used to do all this kind of analysis too. Yeah. Um, so one thing I figured out that I w- liked that in my own sound that, uh, that was something I wanted to do more of that was that like when I put together what I liked about extreme metal, it was kind of like these two things. I liked black metal harmonies over death metal riffs. Ooh. And so if you listen to a lot of doth stuff like yeah. Day of Endless Light or whatever, like a lot of doth stuff, what you'll hear is black metal harmonic content done death metal, but like in a morbid angel kind of like 
slower riff kind of catchy way but that's where it came from was from me understanding i love black metal harmony and i love badass death metal riffs let's put that together and go in that direction but that still doesn't create the ism but it did it did help define a direction that i actually used in real life yeah it's 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 a challenge this is a challenging discussion because that ism thing that we're talking about is sort of like that unknown thing that you need to go within yourself to discover by either doing the work intentionally or unintentionally finding it right so it's like all of these things that we're talking about are the leading up point to you finally asking the right question and getting the right answer from yourself like this is <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. So uh, I've been saying to my students for a while, basically, you know, the saying you could lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Mm -hmm. That's, that's effectively what this is, right? Like we could tell you all the information, all the processes to take all the steps that I took, that John took, that Ale took, but the second you step into our shoes, you're going to probably make other steps. And that's good. That's going to, that's going to force you to have different variables in the pathway. That's going to cause you to have uniquely you solutions. And that's, fucking on you dude those isms are going to be the way you get through that so it's like so so you can't you could lead a horse to water but you can't make a drink and at the same time the whole world of like teach a man to fish versus feed a man a fish for the night right my my this is really me just making a really bad dad joke but my way of teaching guitar is teach a horse to fish <laughs> that's what i do that's my life. Again, when I look at the concepts that you're using for learning and the uh, the framework for people asking themselves questions, I think that's all very positive stuff. And I think that those are the kinds of things that people should be asking themselves. And if they're obsessed, they will somehow get to those questions. Right. Anyway, so by presenting it to them, you're kind of helping them get there earlier, which is a good thing. A little steroid shot in the ass. A little, yeah. But- I, I think, and I'm just going to say it again at the risk of sounding redundant, that at the end of the day, your own sound, your own voice, like all that stuff is not something you're going to get from somebody else. You're not going to get no. it through lessons with you or on no. Riff Hard or anything like that. It's going to come through you. And if other people find it valuable, isn't up to you. Dude, and all of this shit comes down to how do you spend your time when you're alone, Right. This, and I'm, I'm not talking about the shit you do in the bathroom. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> I'm talking about specifically like, how do, you, how do you practice? What do you do when you practice? What the fuck are you practicing, right? So like this, this harkens another little process that I use with my students, but like I call this the three effective questions of practice or the three questions of effective practice. Fucking words, not my thing today. This, this really comes down to like the scientific method, right? It's like, science is really fucking funny. Everything is just people believing what someone smarter said until someone smarter comes along and disproves it. That's mm -hmm. science. It's fucking strange, right? So if you can consider that when you're practicing, you're removed from the outside world, you're putting yourself in a laboratory and you need to be able to have these internal experiments, right? So you run, you run a lick, you find a distraction. When I'm saying distraction, like what's the thing that pulls you out of your flow state of like playing the part? What's the thing that makes me notice I fucked up? That distraction becomes my focus. And then I do what's called, I've been saying this for 10 fucking years and I hate it. I call it the quarantine. <laughs> like, are you kidding? I, 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 I need to change the name now. It's terrible. We'll call it COVID-21. So you basically, you find the, the single moment inside of whatever you're practicing that's the ailment. What's the, what's the infected piece, right? Then you quarantine that thing. You put it in that fucking hazmat suit, little laboratory. 
you make space, you look at it under the microscope, and you discover what the fuck is actually going on with this one part, right? And then you work, you work your way backwards from that. I call it concentrical solutions. It's the idea that, A.O., you're probably going to have to explain what I'm doing physically here in a moment. But it's like taking your, the center point, and then you put like a piece behind it, and then you... So you master these two pieces and their suture points. I don't know how to explain what you're doing. You, you'll, 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 it, it's it's okay. concentrical. It's con, it's concentrical. So you, you do concentrical circles from the center point. It's hard to do around my own fucking arm. You don't want to be adding like extra support in unnecessary spots or wasting your fucking time. Like what I, I, call, I call this the guitar player's insanity cycle. I don't want to pick up my guitar and plug in and like pretend to be an actor and do the whole thing for you. But like me learning a new line, I'd be going digga, 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 fuck. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over with different, with expecting a different outcome. Yeah. Right. So all guitar players that I see are clinically insane, I guess, because we will be spending so much fucking wasted time. Instead of looking at the 5% of the lick that we need to do, we're playing the 95% of what we can do over and over and over and over again needlessly, right? That's like adding support beams to a very solid structure. You don't fucking need that. So by honing in on your weakness, by my, my whole mindset is like wearing this frame or this lens of I'm, I'm problem hunting. I'm looking for the problem first. And then instead of getting stuck or dwelling on the problem, I immediately switch to solution mind. My girlfriend fucking hates me for it. I have friends in my life who hate me for it. That's just what I do everywhere. I always see problems, but instead of just being like, no, that sucks, I provide some solution. Some people hate that, but at least it makes me feel okay. <laughs> so by pinpointing the thing that you're not good at, it might be three notes, it might be 10 notes, who the fuck knows? You work on that thing, you make space inside of that, you master that thing. Then you would use your 8-4 method to work your way up to a, a workable speed. And then you do what I call suture points. You have a wound effectively between the thing that you were working on and what it needs to flow into and out of. So those two spaces between that, the reading between the lines thing, most people avoid and don't like doing. So by suturing those wounds together, you create this bridge that allows you to flow through them really, really easily. So by doing the thing that you suck at most, by staring your demons in the eyes, you recognize it's a fucking coat on a coat rack and you're just a bitch. <laughs> you know what I mean? The thing, that thing you thought in the corner was a monster, it's a jacket. You're, come on. So you stare your demon in the eyes, you recognize it's just a fucking... I was watching videos of cats being scared of cucumbers the other day. <laughs> it's just a cucumber, dude. He doesn't know that. But if someone just told him, if he just learned English instead of whatever language they speak, um, it's fucked up. <laughs> totally kidding. Basically, you look at that thing, you master that, you use like the 8-4 method, and then you do a little, like a couple notes before it, master that, then a couple notes out of it, master that. Then you do the concentrical solution, you do a couple more notes before it, concentrical solution after, a little bit more, and then all of a sudden you've created like, and I'm not afraid of this sandwich, right? So what happens is that one series of notes in that line was a cortisol release. It was an adrenaline rush. Like the second you get to that spot, your body goes, da -da 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 -da, and you pick up your shoulders, you start fucking tensing up, you stop breathing. That one moment in your line is packaged with chemicals. So if you could stare this shit in the eyes, recognize it's not that hard, understand what, why, when, how, all these different things about it, you zoom out and you recognize that after you make your, your fuck me sandwich, that all you're really, all, all you're really <laughs> doing, 
all you're doing is taking adrenaline, cortisol, and turning it into serotonin, oxytocin, dopamine, all these different things, so that when all of a sudden you try to run the line again, and I do this with my students, I'll be like, 10 minutes, just work on this, just work on your suture points, and then we'll zoom out, we'll play the whole riff again, and I swear to fucking God, 95% of students at least are able to play that the very first time they go back to it because they've taken something that was a chemical shit show and turned it into like steroids. Well, they're no longer psyching themselves out. Yes, because you've, you've looked at what it is and what its interior components are that make it either challenging or now very easy to you. And by zooming, zooming in and honing in on that one moment, you're no longer wasting your time on 90 fucking whatever percent of the riff you could already do, right? Yep, makes perfect sense. It's a very, very pinpointed way of tackling the things that ail you. You know what I mean? And that's that's the point of the quarantine, right? I've been doing this thing called shred meds. Shred meds, right? Get your get your prescriptions, your shred prescriptions. <laughs> so you send you send in like a video of like something you're trying to do and I'll send you back a prescription. And the whole premise of it is to pinpoint the exact problem rather than like beating around the bush with like here's an exercise. Like Someone saying, hey, I'm struggling with sweeps. Can you tell me with sweeps? I might answer with how to hold a pick. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's being able to pinpoint the exact thing. And that's not a skill you're born with. That's a skill you develop. Um, but it comes packaged with the idea of like, if you can be problem focused, but addicted to switching to solutions, then mastering guitar in a timely way, like Brown is saying, is doable. I agree. For $9.99 a month, <laughs> you could do it in an hour. JK. I think that's a perfect place to end this. Dope. Coming back full circle to uh, $9.99. Yeah, dude. Billy Nine, Mays actually it's 90, always wins. It's 97 actually. But, uh, 97, right. Yeah, it's 2021. Yeah. yeah. So, Dan, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you again. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you guys giving me the uh, the time of day and the platform to get fucking weird on guitar stuff. I, I, I typically, Yeah, I typically only have like my students to talk about this shit with. There's not many other guitar players who just want to get nerdy. It's fun. Well, now uh, you're talking about it with a lot of guitar players. Yeah, I love it. Am I allowed to drop any plugs, dude? Like yeah, the ones I the ones the ones I have in my hair. Is that cool? <laughs> so, if anyone is interested, um, I would never in a million years try to attempt to step into your guys' arena. And I know you and I, Ale, have talked about this already. But I'm I'm doing this thing that I call Sugarman's Lesson Lounge. Uh, it's a free online guitar lesson community. That's very very funny that we just talked about that shit before. I'm literally doing what I was talking shit on earlier. Come join my free community. <laughs> Basically, it's like uh, I have this Discord server and I'm dropping tons of like blogs, journal prompts, mini lessons. We have like an in-house luthier that helps you like with technical problems you might be having with your guitar. Uh, we've got resources and discounts, a, bu a bunch of cool shit. Um, and I have a lot of really cool plans for it. And if anyone's into what I've been talking about, I will not be helping you with rhythm. But if you guys want to get weird on some other stuff, come come join me and let's get funky. Awesome. Sugarmanslessonlounge.com. I should have said that. And now it's said. Now it is. Well, Dan, thank you. And have a great rest of your day. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, you guys fucking rule. Enjoy the rest of this pandemic. Let's wrap this up soon.